When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Tottenham Hotspur will be marching to the arch. Although there won't be any fans walking down Wembley Way on the 24th of February, Spurs will have the chance to scoop their first trophy in 13 years after a 2-0 win over Brentford last night sent them to the League Cup final. But who will Tottenham face in the Wembley showdown? A tantalising Manchester derby is the way we'll find out tonight. Can United boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer end his hoodoo of semi-final slip-ups while simultaneously keeping up his good derby record against Manchester City? Pep Guardiola, meanwhile, has expressed concerns over a lack of players ahead of the visit to Old Trafford. But after an impressive display against Chelsea, can the Blues boast bragging rights and yet again win another Carabao Cup semi-final? We'll discuss whether Spurs are actually boring to watch under Mourinho amongst all the criticism and whether Manchester United can reach their first final under Ole right here on Football Social Daily. If you're a Premier League fan, this is your lockdown listen. Brand new episodes every single day of the season. So hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss one. I'm Lyle. With me today to share their thoughts, we've got Ian Brannan. Hi, Ian. Hi. Happy New Year. Welcome along. Yeah, Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year as well to Callum Tyler. How are you doing, Callum? I'm good, thank you. This year feels very similar to last year already. <laughs> it really does. It really, really does. Nothing has changed except <laughs> 2020 has ticked over on the uh, calendar in the corner of my computer, and that is it. Um, of course, uh, it's January, which means that we're going to be talking about some transfers as well. Uh, talk regarding Jesse Lingard and Meza Urzil amongst some others but we'll get on to that a little bit later the first thing we're going to do is discuss last night's Carabao Cup semi-final between Tottenham Hotspur and championship side Brentford a game in which goals from Musa Sissoko and Son Heung-min secured Spurs a 2-0 home win to send them to Wembley they've got a final now Ian finally another final after the Champions League one from a couple of years ago um They've just got to win it now, surely, to shake that monkey off the back that Tottenham have of a lack of trophies. 
Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I, I think back to the time that the only time I've attended a, a League Cup final, which was when Sunderland uh, made it a few years ago to, against Man City, and how exciting it was, uh, you know, to, to be going down there with with a team that uh, you know has not really been to, to Wembley other than for rather unfortunate playoff appearances in the past. And the the thing was, it was really exciting, and it was a big deal. But the minute that they started getting tonked by Man City, um, it, it sort of became, well, you know, it's been a good day out, hasn't it? We didn't expect to win. Um, and and it's sort of, it's one of those cups where if you win it, it's fantastic. It's a bit of silverware in, in, in the trophy cabinet. But if you don't win it, it's just the League Cup. It doesn't really matter. It, it just seems sort of like depending on, on the outcome as to, as, to, as to what an achievement it is, obviously. But... Um, I think it it could be the thing that that launches um, Mourinho into that um, you know trophy winning zone with with Tottenham though. It, I mean we've seen it mm. with with other teams where getting a League Cup can get you up and running. I think Klopp won the League Cup first, didn't he? And and it sort of set the stage. I think in this case, I think I think they could do it, and I hope they do because you know they they as as much as this going under the radar, they're they're a pretty decent team, aren't they? Yeah, I mean we'll come on to the style of playing a little bit, but. You know, Ian makes a good point there. I think the Carabao Cup is often regarded as as the lesser of the domestic trophies, but it's a a competition which your club, Manchester City, have kind of made their own over the last few seasons, Callum. So, I mean, is it more than that for Tottenham, just purely because it's been so long, 13 years without a trophy? Does it mean more than that than just simply the League Cup? It's the kind of lesser of the the three? Yeah, I think it does mean a lot to them. It's it's funny how it becomes a sort of totem for a club. Like, this this is their chance to start winning trophies and they're all going to follow after the league cup which i I don't know that they necessarily will but i think you know as a man city fan that that first trophy that we won uh, in the kind of modern era was was the fa cup and and that was such a such a release and such a relief and and to be fair tottenham haven't had to wait quite as long and they've not waited 34 years for this but they are these kind of pretenders aren't they 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 talk about themselves in the big Mm. six and they went to the champions league final but what those kind of clubs do is they they pick up the league cup um pretty routinely so i think it would be i think it would be them sort of announcing it would certainly back up their claims you know to be part of that big six i think that the majority of city fans that i've spoken to over the last couple of years actually quite enjoy that day out at the end of february it's an early trip to wembley and winning the trophy can sort of impact your your league form um, and kind of do you good moving forward. Um, Do you think that there's a a possibility that that might happen, Ian? You know, that if, you know, they do end up winning the trophy at Wembley, that can kind of give them a bit of a, a bit of a boost moving on towards the end of the season where, you know, presuming they keep up their Premier League form, they could still be with a shout of minimum finishing top four. It'll certainly settle the nerves in their minds, won't it? Because, that that whole talk about you know uh, Tottenham are always the, the Neely men that they haven't won anything. If they get some silverware in the cabinet, that that closes that argument down. And Jose Mourinho has got um, a lot of experience, particularly in this competition. Um, I was just seeing that he's he's the modern day Ron Atkinson. If, if there was going to be a, a comparison, <laughs> because he's one of the few managers to to get to the League Cup final three times. Surely, if you win a trophy, it has to really at least people have to sit up and take notice and. and 
and start taking Tottenham seriously as title contenders. There's absolutely no reason why they're not title contenders. They're up there, you know, a few points mm. off the top at, at the minute in the league. Um, slightly different team that he played last night, of course, but, um, you know, they've got the best two strikers as well at the minute for my money. And, and as long as everybody stays fit, they're, they're absolutely going to be there or thereabouts. And, and, and winning a tournament and, and knowing that you can get it over the line and, and finally mm. put those... Um, uh, sort of memories I suppose for the team uh, to bed of, of maybe not kicking on in competitions as they have done in the past and, and, and winning stuff I mean it's not so much a thing for, for Mourinho because he knows he can do it uh, it's more for the mm. for the players and I, uh, yeah absolutely um, but I think as is the case with all football they need to keep their team and their, their main men fit you know like uh, K- uh, Kane and, and Son and all that and, uh, and I think they're going to be in with a chance it's exciting yeah, definitely. It's exciting for Tottenham fans. Shame for them that they can't be there, but I don't think they'll care too much because they seem to get so much stick about never winning a trophy on social media. I think, as I said before, getting that monkey off the back would be sort of priority for them. Um, but on the flip side of that, Callum, do you think their league form might actually suffer now from here on in? Obviously, I'm, I'm purely speculating here, but subconsciously when sides are in a final and they know that they've got a chance to do something special for the first time in a while, that can be of detriment to form in other games, so to speak. So do you think there's a chance that their league form might dip slightly with one eye on that Carabao final at the end of February? It might do, but I would say that's a problem that is being faced by all those clubs at the top, given the the fixture Mm. congestion, not just of of this competition, but the other competitions, the Champions League and all the Premier League games that have been missed and need to be fit back in. So I think this might be a, a good season to to have that problem in just the sense that everybody else has that problem as well, you know. Spurs have been called boring to watch, Ian. Um, but I thought some of their play last night was actually really good football. I thought the first goal was an extremely good cross from Regulon into the box and well finished by Sissoko, albeit an unmarked header. But, you know, they were playing a championship side in Brentford, as good as Brentford have been over the last 18 months. Um, there is still a difference in quality there. So, you know, I thought the second goal as well with the, the through ball into Son and they, they played a couple of good zipping passes around the edge of the box at times. Like it wasn't totally 100% fluid dynamic football for the whole of the 90 minutes. But certainly in patches, they played some entertaining football. So this kind of moniker that Tottenham are boring to watch, is that fair? Is it justified or is it just a cliche? Because Jose Mourinho is the manager and we know Mourinho is, you know, more often than not a defensive coach. Yeah, I don't think they are boring to watch. I think there are more boring teams in the Premier League that um, that, that I will be able to pick out. <laughs> um, what Tottenham are is very organised, and that is it sounds like mm. a basic thing, but it, it is the key thing. I mean, as as a Leeds fan and having fresh in my memory how how it went at the weekend against uh, Tottenham. You know, you saw the difference in styles. You know, Leeds is kind of like throw everything at it and 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 keep going and just hope that you score more goals than you let in. Is uh, is sort of basic <laughs> moniker really there? <laughs> Whereas with Tottenham, you knew that once they got that goal, they were going to be really really hard to break down. And and they are they, mm. they, they they're like that the whole game. They will sit and just take their time, and you've got to break the the whole team down. They're just really well organised, and they have this awareness of. Of, of where the game's going and, and, and where the players are and the players all know their jobs really well defensively. Now, if they didn't have two of the best strikers in the world right now uh, in their team, maybe they might be a little bit more boring to watch. I think with Son and Kane uh, and, and what they can do when they get the ball, um, 
that makes them not boring because they're 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 very exciting up front and uh you know i think that's that's what balances out the the potential boring elements um but interesting that um mm. they, they played you know some different players uh in in the league cup which gives them a chance and uh, great for sissoko who mm. scored his first goal since uh, december 2019 <laughs> that's quite, cool. so, so, quite quite a goal drought there yeah, and it was a good header as well into the top corner. And, yeah. you know, I think that was Tottenham's first real, if I remember rightly, their first real kind of strong opportunity of the game, let's just say. Uh, what about you, Callum? I mean, do you think Tottenham are boring? Because those games that Manchester City had against Spurs, I mean, I'm thinking of the Champions League quarterfinal or semi I think it was the quarterfinal a couple of years ago, which was just absolutely unbelievable. Rip-roaring back and forth, VAR, last-minute drama and heartbreak. I mean, those were the games against Tottenham where Manchester City fans were saying, you know, even though we've lost or won or whatever, that was a, that was a fun game. I don't feel that we've got that same sort of element to Spurs now, but I still don't personally think they're as boring as people are making out. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is not the same swashbuckling Tottenham Hotspur that went to the Champions League final um, a year or two ago. And I think that's what you get when you get Mourinho. Mourinho has drilled them. As Ian said, they are phenomenally well organised. And I don't think Spurs will mind because, you know, that game that they played against Man City where they beat us this season, they... They surrendered possession, they soaked up the pressure, and then they kind of hit us, sucker punched us on the attack. And that's ultimately like how you win leagues and how you win Champions Leagues, and, and that's what Mourinho brings. I also like if what what is the measure for boring? Tottenham have scored the fourth most goals this season. They've got five more than Manchester City in the league. They they have you know had kind of standout results. They had a three all against West Ham and they beat Man United six one. I I don't I don't really know where that cl- that claim would come from. I think I think the difference is that this Tottenham Hotspur are way more organised than maybe previous Tottenham Hotspurs. Mm, yeah, I think that's a fair point. And you know, if you're Spurs now looking at tonight's semi final, I'm sure some of the players would be watching it. Ian Manchester United against Manchester City at Old Trafford. I mean, do you care who you face in the final? Does it really matter? I mean, when you've got Jose Mourinho as your manager, you're always going to feel confident with him in your corner because he is so good at those one-off games. I, I think when, you, when you've when got a choice of who you're going to face in a final and it's Man United or Man City, I think uh, you, you probably... <laughs> it's not a great deal. It's not like you've, one's Brentford and one's Man City. You know, like, uh, you know, it could, it, I think that they're, they're both very difficult uh, opposition. It's going to be going to make for a great final, whoever is in the final. Um, I don't know. Who would you rather face? I suspect, um, romantically, of course, I, I think that um, maybe Mourinho would, would prefer to face Man United um, for the old beef there and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, maybe uh, on, a, on, a, on a sporting point of view for, the, for, the, for, for Tottenham in terms of who they're going to have the best chance again, I think they might, they might play better against Man City. It's, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, Ian? Because he'll probably have a point to prove against Manchester United with it being his former club and the way he kind of left Old Trafford. But also, he's had a few ding-dongs with Pep Guardiola in the past and there's kind of been this, you know, debate between people over whether Pep's the best manager of the last 20 years or whether it's Jose. And Jose, you know, has kind of had criticism saying that he's passed it and whatnot. So I think, you know, if you're talking about what would give Jose greatest satisfaction if Tottenham were to win against either of those clubs, it is quite difficult to call. Yeah, it is. It is difficult to call. Um, I think. Oh, how can I? How can I second guess what Jose Mourinho thinks? Um, <laughs> he, I think. He, I think he'd prefer to beat, to beat Ole, wouldn't he? And just to sort of take something off of the Man United hierarchy. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, I think he knows that would wind them up more. 
uh, I think you might be right there. I think you might be right there. Anyway, we'll be talking about both Manchester clubs, United and City after this quick break here on Football Social Daily because, of course, it's another Carabao Cup semi-final tonight and it's a big one at Old Trafford. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Brand new podcasts focusing on Premier League action every single day of the season. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode. Um, and tonight it's the Carabao Cup semi-final. Two Premier League sides in action in this one and two of the biggest clubs in the division, it has to be said. For a place at Wembley on the 24th of February, Manchester United and Manchester City go toe to toe. Now, Manchester United are in good form. They've got a decent record under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in Manchester derbies against City. Does that concern you at all, Callum, as a City fan? Uh, Solskjaer's record against you in, in the last couple of seasons? Uh, I am very concerned uh, just because uh, that seems to be the game that Manchester United, whatever whatever crisis that they are in, in inverted commas, at, at that particular given time, they do seem to raise their game against Manchester City. Um, so yeah, of course, a one-off derby game in a knockout cup competition, they'll be desperate to get to the final as well. I am worried. However, it does also seem like, you know, Man City have, have solved the problems. Pep solved the defensive issues and, and that game against Chelsea was like watching Man City from, from two years ago. So if that Man City shows up, then um, they should blow Man United away. But that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a big thing to say. And I, yeah, I, I, it's impossible to call, which should make for a great game. Um, but then the mm. last one was, was pretty dull, wasn't it? So <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Well, you played really well against Chelsea. You just highlighted it there. Is that inconsistency becoming slightly frustrating? And and Pep Guardiola knows it, the fans know it, everyone who kind of watches Manchester City closely know how good they can be. But, you know, at the beginning of the season, there was an issue with consistency in front of goal, not being able to find the net, but the defence was good. And against Chelsea, it all seemed to click and and fall into place. Now, over the last couple of days, there's been talks over Kevin De Bruyne being a bit disgruntled over a new possible contract. Just feels that there's a few issues starting to crop up here and there. Um, Did that Chelsea game feel like a, a turning point in the season for you? It did. But I would also say that the way that Pep kind of re- he, he's constantly rebuilding the team right so there's this whole thing about whether Pep can rebuild Man City this season he's had to rebuild different elements of it as we've had injuries and, and different fixtures and people dropping out with Covid and all this sort of thing and early in the season it, mm. we were really bad defending and and then he sort of sorted that out and we went on that run of games where we didn't concede and that resulted in like quite boring draws against you know Man United and, and, and some of the other games around then and then he sort of went right defence sorted now let's get back to, to the attack and there was a game I think it was West Brom just before the Chelsea game where there were there were hints that he's that he'd started to crack it and it's almost like Pep's team is like a constant work in progress over the season. And we've seen it before where he sort of has a bit of a, a, an epiphany or a realisation. And I just hope that that Chelsea game was, yes, okay, great. I've fixed the defence and I've fixed the attack. And now we're going to go and blow teams away for the rest of the season. Um, but it's, it's Manchester City as well. So that, that could that could be completely wrong and it could all fall apart. Yeah, well, from a Manchester United perspective, Ian, they reached three semi-finals last year, but they couldn't get the job done. They couldn't reach... The final, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's kind of had that lingering over him a little bit. It's not going to overshadow tonight, but it's certainly going to be talked about. The fact that last season they were in three semi-final opportunities, um, a chance for Solskjaer to scoop his first ever silverware um, as Manchester United manager, and they fell short. So 
his good record in derbies against Manchester City is kind of being put up against his poor record in semi-finals. So it makes for an interesting narrative. Yeah, it's very similar to what we were saying about Tottenham, that that they've been nearly men a few times and, and maybe now it's the time for Man City to to prove that they can be silverware winners again especially under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of course as you say you know hasn't quite uh, made that yet and I think again if Man United could win just the same as, as Tottenham you know getting that silverware in the cabinet it will it'll be heralded as a you know great success and um, and maybe it will allow them to kick on further into the season Um it's it's going to be an interesting battle. It it really is, and I think, as you say, I, I would Manchester United seem to have the momentum, um, perhaps at the minute, just slightly, certainly in the league. Um, a lot depends on which teams the respective sides play as well. Of course, the 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 Carabao Cup or the the League Cup, whatever you want to call it, uh, the the Simod Cup. Was that something else? Wasn't it <laughs> the Milk uh, Cup? The Rumbelows. Milk Cup. Yeah, yeah. I call it. Yeah, I call it the Rumbelows <laughs> Cup. Uh, they <laughs> they um, you know they are tournaments that are, that are sort of renowned for for wholesale changes in teams. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen uh, right now. But I suppose we've got the FA Cup coming up as well this this um, coming weekend. So it'd be interesting mm. to see um, if there are any sort of significant changes Cavani uh, is obviously out anyway for for Man United but um, yeah but back to your original question the, yeah I think the 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 focus is going to be on that a little bit and I think the focus will be on it even more if they don't win and they don't actually turn their league campaign into anything you know but it'll be added up as a, a part of all the failures of of Ole's season if you know what I mean whereas um whereas obviously if they win then um that'll all be good but mm. I don't know it's uh it's back to what we were saying before really the, the the league cup is uh is one of those sort of take it or leave it tournaments I think in in, in the minds of, of of some fans eyes you know it's all well and good if you win it but if you don't win it then it, it sort of never happened yeah, I think it would be good. That. I think it'd be good for Solskjaer on a personal level if he yeah. can see off Manchester City in the semi-final and kind of shake that stigma of oh he's only good in uh, leading up to a semi-final and he can't win one. If he gets rid of that and beats City at the same time, he, he kind of does a double whammy. He gets rid of those question marks over Manchester United's ability to get to finals, and also he keeps up that record he's got against Manchester City um, as a manager of United so I think he's yeah. got everything to gain tonight Solskjaer really um, and, and as you say with the FA Cup at the weekend um, it would make most sense for Manchester United to go full strength I mean it's a derby game after all yeah, so you'd, but, you'd but, expect both sides to go as full strength as possible I, I wouldn't expect Man United against Man City I don't think the fans would tolerate him sort of putting a, uh, a reduced side out um, against against Man City, especially, you know, it's a cup semi-final. We're beyond the sort of um, initial stages, you know, the first round or whatever it is where they drop in and, and it's kind of against, uh, you know, a team from lower down the league. This is still, as you say, a big local derby, uh, a place at Wembley at stake, potentially uh, a cup, and and then to go to Wembley. And, it, and if he did beat Jose Mourinho uh, in a final, then people would start taking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, as the real deal that that he's been built up to be the, this great coach, and we've been talking about that perhaps you know if he wasn't an ex Man United legend, would he be at Man United? But we've said that he's also must have some of the credentials to be good enough to be in in the job, and I think people will say, look, you know, he's won silverware and he's beaten one of the arguably greatest coaches of the of the modern era, and um, and yeah, stick that in your pipe. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to say. Sorry, who it's 
probably going to be most valuable to if let's yeah. say United reach the final and they win or Mourinho wins it for Spurs um, not that I'm wishing Manchester City to lose this game uh, if it sounds that way that's absolutely not the case but Pep Sorry, Guardiola we've won, the, we've won the last three anyway, yeah I know so. you've got enough in the cabinet that's for <laughs> sure say, like, um, it, you know Man City fans I mean I, I remember a few years ago when I back to when I went down there when when Sunderland were playing Man City you know that that time Man City fans were like oh yeah we, we've, we've been down to uh, Wembley about five times this year it's like <laughs> just come on you know they, they, they've practically got they go out Man City fans go out and buy a season ticket to, for uh, for trains to London at the start of the season knowing that they're probably <laughs> going to come in handy at some point they do go to Wembley a lot it has to be said <laughs> although I do remember that Wembley uh, final against Sunderland because Yaya Torre scored an outrageous goal from about 30 mm. yards I will always mm. remember watching that on TV um a couple of things I wanted to discuss before we uh, move on to some transfer talk. Pep Guardiola, Callum, has been talking about um, perhaps a lack of availability for some of his players. You've mentioned some of the issues in terms of squad selection that Pep's faced over the last couple of weeks with injuries and players going down with COVID, games being called off, etc., etc. He was also saying in his pre-match press conference that you know he's struggling to kind of club together a fully fit squad uh, at least that's what he was alluding to I'm not sure how accurate that really was I mean what's your take on the whole thing I think he's he gets asked this question a lot and he sort of he doesn't really ever give a straight answer I don't think he's the same as Klopp in that he will you know moan incessantly about the fixtures he does seem to just kind of be getting on with it but you know we've we've we're missing our first choice goalkeeper so Edison won't be in this game um most likely it'll be Zach Steffen I think um and you know, while Zach Steffen is a good player, that's why he's at Man City. He's he's only had one game uh, for us kind of this season, I think, which was against Chelsea, uh, where he also picked up the ball from a back pass, which was very bizarre. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I think Pep, Pep is finding it hard to answer these questions, partly because obviously COVID has kind of swept through the ranks at, at City and then he's got players like Walker and Mendy sort of not behaving himself. He seems to have like this... He seems to just be like, you know, herding stray cats a wee bit with these players. Um, and I think I think he's pretty exhausted by the whole thing. Um, but at the same time, we've we've not got the same kind of injuries that Liverpool have. We should still be able to put out a pretty close to first strength eleven um that should be more than capable of beating Man United. So I think I think his complaints, if they if he has any, they're not they're not too serious. Well, it'll be interesting to see how things fare tonight at Old Trafford. Manchester United versus Manchester City. Semi-final of the League Cup. A place at Wembley at stake. But Manchester City's players will run out for their warm-ups wearing retro number eight Manchester City shirts in memory of Colin Bell, who's a former Manchester City striker. 152 goals for the football club. Um, joined the club in the mid-60s. Enjoyed plenty of success with Manchester City. Sadly passed away due to illness yesterday, aged 74. He was known as the King or the King of the Kipax by Manchester City fans. Sad news yesterday, Callum. Um, an icon for so many City fans of a certain generation. Yeah, uh, as one of my mates texted me, he was like, that's, uh, that's our dad's favourite player. Um, which is kind of how, if you, if that's how you got into Man City through your dad, like like many people did, that's the name that was always top of the list. You know, the ab- mm. the absolute best. And and for that generation that saw him, he will he will always be the best, and he will always be unbeaten. And in their eyes, you know, I, I don't think anyone would come close, even even in the the current crop, for the sort of magic that he was able to conjure on on the football pitch. And the other thing that, that everyone has been saying about him, and, and it bears repeating, is that he was 
a guy who was he was super humble he's described in interviews sometimes as not really understanding his fame and and certainly didn't revel in it um was always around the club was always apparently very good to chat to um and is and is rightly loved by man city fans and it's just a shame that we can't have fans uh, in the stadium anytime soon to to celebrate um mm. obviously the the stand at the etihad bears his name um and i'm sure when when we're all able to go back there that the club will put on something special for him yeah, absolutely. Sad news yesterday, uh, the, the sad passing away of Colin Bell, Manchester City legend. And obviously thoughts with all of those Manchester City fans uh, who, who are sadly sort of grieving for him today. And of course, his close family and friends too. Time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily, but it's Transfer Talk coming up next. We'll do it after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to the podcast this is Football Social Daily I'm Niall I've got Ian and Callum alongside me and it's time to talk about some transfers because of course we are now six days into January and it's all a little bit quiet but I think that's because everyone's absolutely skint due to the coronavirus pandemic and a lack of fans in the stands Um, it is affecting football clubs although we said this in the summer, didn't we, Ian? And yet, all of a sudden, we had an explosion of activity. Uh, Chelsea spending two hundred million quid. Um, loads of other, loads of other um, clubs spending big money. I mean, thinking of Wolves spending thirty odd million on an unproven eighteen year old. So, it, is it a bit of calm before the storm, or do you think that because it is January, it's not going to be quite the same as the summer? Yeah, teams did sort of find virtual money down um, football's sofa, didn't they, Um, (laughs) in the summer? I think because maybe the season started a bit later uh, and we haven't had the sort of same amount of time. Maybe they're just sort of sitting on their hands a little bit at the moment. I think the January Mm. transfer window is, is often different from the point of view of teams are a little bit sort of more cautious I think in in the January transfer window and and you tend to find that teams really only dabble in there if if they have to or if there's a player who is coming to the end of their contract and you know maybe uh, the the selling team is looking to get a little bit of value out of the remaining portion of that contract before they become a free agent and just go wherever they want Um, so you tend to find things are a a little bit more cautious I think in January and it often comes comes down to the deadline day a little bit more. I mean, we're now on the 6th of January. It's still fairly early doors. I think mm. there's a, there's always going to be a lot of talk now. I mean, this this stage, I think often you get the, the agents um, putting rumours out to, to various reporters and papers, and especially now with social media, there's so many accounts <laughs> that are they run by credible sources or are they run by people just making it up? Um I guess we'll have to see. I think, you know, the obvious ones that I know we've got on the list, you know, the likes of of Odesil, uh, who who <laughs> hasn't really done very much for his whatever it is, 300 grand a week at the minute. <laughs> you'd, you'd think, you know, that that would be a no-brainer that somebody somewhere will be looking to, to move uh, him along mm. in some regard. But it's going to be interesting. It does seem fairly quiet at the minute. But I think, as you say, yeah. it's early doors and... Uh, I think these things can escalate pretty quickly when it comes to January. And plus, it depends. Give it a week or two, you know, a couple of teams get a few injuries and a, a, a team that maybe isn't in the market now might be before the end of the month. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 that sort of slow game of poker. It's easy to forget that the last transfer window only closed in October. 
Um, You know, (laughs) he's thinking back as if it was the summer. Um, We call it the summer transfer window, but in fact, it didn't close until October. And we didn't foresee a flurry of spending activity back then, but it it definitely happened. Um, I think it's safe to say, as you rightly mentioned there, Ian, that January is always a little bit quieter. Um, But let's talk about him, seeing as you've already mentioned him. And we've we've talked about him loads on Football Social Daily over the last year or so. And that is Mesut Ozil. Um, the Arsenal man's been frozen out by Mikel Arteta Callum. It doesn't look like he's going to get a look in. As Ian rightly says, he's on 300 to 350k a week. DC United, the MLS club, uh, are supposedly interested in taking Mesut Ozil. Whether that's on a similar wage, I have absolutely no idea. But it just feels like he needs to get out of Arsenal and Arsenal need to get rid of him because the longer that he sits there on his big paycheck, not being played in games and tweeting on social media uh, and kind of being a bit of a character, I mean, that that just, things, the tensions build up, don't they, the longer that goes on. It's completely toxic, the relationship now and whatever situation he's got himself into between him and Arsenal. And the, the it's funny, his wages are mentioned all the time, but I think... Not to not to get into what's happened there, but there's obviously blame on both sides, and Arsenal have not managed, you know, their prize asset well enough. If he's if he's this disgruntled and and relationship seems to have completely broken down, uh, DC United would be I don't know that would that would be the kind of him admitting it's the twilight of his career. I'm just reading here. I just put his name into Google. Uh, Fenerbahce uh, have apparently potentially reached an agreement uh, to sign him as well. So that that for me would make more sense given his his Turkish roots. Um, but yeah, it's it's time for him to go. Uh, that that has been a, a long time coming at Arsenal, especially when you consider, you know, the the form that Arsenal have had this season as well, Callum, and and yeah. some of the poor results that they've had. There's been cries out for a creative player and cries to call Ozil back in, and you know now there's been links as well. We spoke about it on yesterday's show with Norwich's player Emi Buendia. I mean. I mean, if Mikel Arteta is trying to build something and, and kind of reconstruct Arsenal, he's going to have to be brutal in the transfer window. And it feels like this could be one of those players that he does axe. Yeah, and, and if, if Ozil isn't in the camp for whatever reason, whether that's his fault or Arsenal's fault, and he's instead outside the camp, just, you know, like you say, he tweets, he causes trouble. Um, I also think he does use his platform for good quite a lot of time. But at the same, you know, the, the, he's, he undermines a lot of what Arsenal are trying to do. Um, and I think... A, a good good management would be either either completely you know forgive and forget getting back in the team get the team winning again that seems quite unlikely and a bit of a stretch so so the next best thing to do is is get him as far away from Arsenal as possible another player who's in the news Ian Jesse Lingard also another player who hasn't quite been frozen out by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I don't think that's fair but certainly his form has dropped off over the last season or so um, he's still under contract at Manchester United reports yesterday suggesting that United have triggered an 18 month extension I'm not sure as to the accuracy of those reports but it feels like for his career he's now in his late 20s Jesse Lingard which is sometimes hard to believe when you consider um, you know the age that many people think he is a lot of people think he's in his early 20s he's not he's actually approaching 30 which surprises a few but especially when you are getting to that age, getting towards 30, which some would suggest is the pinnacle of your career, you need to be getting out and playing football. So is the right thing for Lingard this January to try and engineer some sort of loan deal away from Old Trafford or for United to, to try and sell him? Because he needs to be playing football, surely. Yeah, as you say, I think it looks like um, he's not getting the chances. And I'm just reading that it looks there's a good chance that um, six players could be on their way out of uh, of Old Trafford in this um in, in this transfer window, which would save them almost half a half a million quid a week, 
um, which has um, you know, got to be handy cash when you're not getting... You've got to remember, clubs are not making money from fans coming through the turnstiles. And, and you know, they, they are um, they are starting to run a little bit short of cash, believe it or not. But um, I think they're, they're probably all right just yet. But is, as you say, he's, he's not he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's, uh, he's going to have to try and, and get into a team, especially with the Euros and, and World Cups and, and things like that coming up on the rails. If if he wants to be considered by Gareth Southgate to, to be involved in those squads in, in whatever form, he's, he's going to have to be playing regularly somewhere, even if that's out on loan. Um, but, you know, yeah, he, he absolutely definitely needs to be um, getting himself, you know, better match action. I don't see him as a, as a bench warmer. You know, you get these career bench warmers, don't you? We're quite happy to to sort of go round their career and and just uh, you know be a, be a sort of super sub now and again. But I think Jesse Lingard has had that taste of of uh, international action and, and and being a star in the starting eleven for a while, and 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 probably wants to get back to those days if he can. And especially as uh, as the clock's ticking, I can see why he'd want to be out. I mean, another one for uh, for Man United is uh, Dan James. On about him possibly heading to Leeds as well, and of course Leeds signed him. Uh, well, actually, they didn't. They, they did tried to. <laughs> they did everything but sign him. They they had him there. Uh, they had him holding up the shirt. They had the press uh, photos done. They had the, the snazzy video ready to go. Uh, they just needed the contract to arrive. The pen was there. Uh, the contract never arrived. And they changed their mind at last minute from Swansea, of course. So that's kind of like a an, an old saga that's ongoing, is that one, that might come to a head eventually. Mm. <laughs> Be interesting if he does go back to Leeds. I'm not quite sure I can see that one happening. Any thoughts on Lingard, Callum? You said that Ian, he's not the kind of perennial sort of career bench warmer. I think he's got a, I don't want to sound like Graham Soonis, but he's got a bit of a kind of, would it be fair to say, work ethic attitude issue sometimes. Uh, it's been said at Manchester United. And, and I wonder, you take him out of that environment where he's been his entire career. It's kind of sink or swim if he goes somewhere else, especially if he goes somewhere, somewhere where they're a bit more up against it every week. Um, and it, mm. it, it, to be fair, it could be the making of him. It's been the making of other players. Um, you just don't want to see him turn into another sort of Ravel Morrison figure, just kind of trying to make it work in all these places and going around the houses. And I think Lingard's got too much talent for that. Um, mm. But he's also he's also got to make the most of that talent, which he, to be fair to him, hasn't hasn't done yet. He's a good player, Jesse Lingard. I do somehow think that he'll end up just staying at Manchester United, though. And I think if there is going to be any move, it would be the summer more than anything. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been hinting that he wants to try and keep quite a large squad together for the season. And Manchester United do have a very, very large squad. Uh, one club that probably don't have as many players available to them as they would like is Liverpool. Um, and a player who hasn't really shone in the last season or so, despite Liverpool winning the league, is Jordan Shaqiri. All of these players that we're talking about in this transfer section, Ozil, Lingard and now Shaqiri, have all got similar stories, I think, Callum, to be perfectly honest. They're all players that have performed well at stages during their careers at their respective clubs. Three big clubs as well, Arsenal, Manchester United and Liverpool. But now it feels like their time has come to an end and perhaps their usefulness might have run its course with no disrespect intended. I feel very similar about Shakiri. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, I can see your point. I, I do think, though, that Shakiri, we've seen, was it, the season that Liverpool won the league, he, he did he did pop up on occasion to take someone's place, and and he would he would score goals and he would make things happen, and he's an extremely talented footballer. And, and I I wonder if they'd be they might sell him in, in any other year, but this year, given all the injuries that they've had and all the fixtures coming up, if it might be worthwhile just keeping a hold of him at least till the end of the season, because you can foresee you can foresee a time in the not too distant future where maybe one or two or three of Liverpool's forwards kind of drop out. Um, and all of a sudden 
you, you've got a big gap to fill and and Shakiri has has tremendous experience um and and would be a, f- a great player to bring off the bench you know rather than than some teenager uh but yeah i think i think of, of all three he's he's the one that, that i personally think has has something left to give is there an issue do you think with liverpool trying to get rid of players during this transfer window ian particularly with the injury situation that they've got i mean jordan shakiri is one of those who has suffered his fair share of injuries over the time he's been at Anfield. But considering that they've already got a problem with players on the treatment table, uh, I mean, specifically at centre-half, where I think in the last 17 games, Jurgen Klopp's used 10 different centre-half pairings. So, I mean, that should be a point of interest for them to try and bring in some defenders. But just in terms of total squad numbers, does it make much sense to get rid of Shakiri at this moment in time? No, I don't think it does. And I think that's what's going to be um, dictating the, the transfer window for, for Liverpool. I think if they are gonna, there are going to be any transfer movements uh, at Anfield, it's it's going to be players coming in. I don't think they're going to have any massive hitters coming in, but I think it's to, it's to bolster numbers. I, I, from the reports I've, I've been reading that um, it doesn't look like there'll be many players going out purely for that reason that Jurgen Klopp doesn't know how the season's going to pan out. We're still relatively early in the season and um, he doesn't have massive numbers and you know a few injuries and he could be um, even shorter than he already is. So I, I think Shakiri's future probably is slightly in doubt in the long term at uh, at Liverpool but I think he's too good a player to to let go when you've um, when you're fairly thin on the ground with numbers and particularly as well of course not just injuries um we have the we still have the covid situation on and you know if that if that goes around the team uh yeah you can isolate a, a certain amount of players away and 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 still carry on but you get an outbreak of that in the team and um yeah I, I think it's very dicey to be to be letting players that have got decent experience and that can actually offer something uh, at this time and especially when you're low on numbers I, I don't see massive exodus but I think maybe in the summer you could be looking then for uh, for, for new horizons <laughs> well that's what we think what do you think get in touch with us via social media at the sports social on twitter at sports social official on instagram and if you're on facebook just search for sports social and you can find us there send us a message let us know what you think if there's anything you want us to talk about on the podcast as well or any questions you want us to answer make sure you do send them into us because we do answer them once a week every week on the podcast so it'd be great to hear from you and also leave a review as well if you enjoy what you hear reviews mean a lot to us um if you leave a five-star review the chances are you are going to get a shout out on the podcast you can even leave a five star review and abuse us if you want the chances are we will read it out if it's five stars um that's it for today's (laughs) podcast thanks very much ian thank you cheers callum and i hope you're not too nervous tonight watching the derby well it's uh, what else is there to do except just watch the endless football that's (laughs) always on (laughs) endless non-stop conveyor belt but we're here for it on football social daily a brand new podcast every single day of the season and we'll be back again tomorrow with another one Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.